Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast that sees two movies with something in common. Go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this week's episode. In the red corner, you'll believe a man can carry a tree as Arnold Schwarzenegger proves that you don't mess with Jenny. Because after a group of bad guys kidnap his daughter, Jenny, the Austrian oak has 11 hours to get her back. Facing off against one of his greatest adversaries ever in Captain Hello John Bennett and his chainmail vest, it's time to talk about the original Matrix, John Matrix, from 1985. We're going commando. They hunted him down. You know, Colonel, we went to a lot of trouble to find you. They murdered his friends. And they took the only thing he would kill for. If you want your kid back, then you gotta cooperate. Right? Wrong. Now, somewhere, somehow, someone's gonna pay. Do you think that he's going to give us any problems? You'll do exactly as he's told. While in the blue corner... How is this week's challenger going to defeat the might of 80s Arnie? Well, we spoke to Liam Neeson and he had the following to say. If you're looking for ransom, I can tell you I don't have money. But what I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I have acquired over a very long career. Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. That's the kind of fighting talk we like on ClashPod. From 2008, it's Taken. Oh, my darling. Happy birthday. Dad, guess what? You know my friend Amanda? Yep. Her cousins asked us to spend vacation with them in Paris. I really, really want to go. Hi, Daddy. You were supposed to call me when you left. There's someone here. What? Oh, my God, they got Amanda. They got me. All right, listen to me. Go to the next bedroom. 
under the bed. Tell me when you're there. Now, the next part is very important. They're going to take you. So what connects these two films and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken. You're funny guys, Clash Potters. I like you. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Hello, I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. I'm Chris Tilly. And welcome to this week's furious father feud as Commando <laughs> clashes with Taken. These were my choices. So first of all, you're welcome. And secondly, <laughs> on a scale of one to ten, how much did you enjoy these picks, Vicky? I'm not sure about this segment. This taps into your neediness again. <laughs> and it, yeah. We've only just started. Um, it was 10. It was brilliant. Is that all right? Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Vicky. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a 10. I mean, I had a premonition. It felt like a 10 kind of week, but uh, it's I, I honestly, to just have it confirmed. I nearly texted you because I was, I was watching Taken and I was just having such a fun time. Um, but not to spoil the surprise, I had a fun time with Commander also. Great, great. Chris, just a casual question, not needy in any way. One to ten. <laughs> what's, what's, your, what's your vibe, man? I'll let you know my verdict at the end of Thursday's episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I would like to pull you up on something, Alex. Your introduction, mm. you quoted Liam Neeson, but I did not hear a Liam Neeson impression, and I'm very disappointed. <laughs> I'm... I'm building to it. I've got till Thursday to nail that bad boy and it's going to happen. But at, at the moment, we're in a sort of grey area where it's kind of just me saying I'm Liam Neeson and then saying a Liam Neeson quote, which I realise is a loose interpretation of the phrase impression. So we're I feel working like you on only it. picked these films so you could do Arnie on the first show and <laughs> Liam on the second show. <laughs> yeah. And what I've realised, I always thought I could do Arnie. As we'll find out, I can't. But I do try, <laughs> and God loves a trier. So the clue I gave you last week, um, dear Clash Podders, was fathers and daughters and guns. Oh, my. Uh, Chris then added his own clue on Twitter, and I'm going to come out and say it, a far superior clue, Christopher. Well done. Um, if you don't follow us on Clash uh, on Twitter, it's at ClashPod, uh, as well as clues. There's loads of extras for each episode, so get on there, at ClashPod on Twitter. And uh, while we're doing a bit of housekeeping, if you could also rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcast, it is amazing and helpful, and thank you. So Chris's amazing clue was stop or my pop will shoot, which I, I very much enjoyed, Chris. Did you enjoy that? Uh, yes, I guess so. Mm, uh, yep. Obviously a play on uh, the Sylvester Stallone <clears throat> Estelle Getty vehicle stop or my mom will shoot, mm. um, which famously came out of the fact that at this time uh, in the 80s, Arnie and Stallone were sort of pushing each other and competing with each other for the same projects. And Arnie, to sort of play a prank on Stallone, famously told him that he'd got this great script and he wanted to do this stop on my mum will shoot, knowing it was a turkey. And Stallone mm. got in there and did it instead and <laughs> ended up making them one of the worst films of his career. There's nothing wrong with that film. I don't know what you're talking about. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Are you serious? I think I've no, seen no, it no. once when I was eight and I really loved it. So. Oh, that, okay, fair enough. We'll let, we'll let eight-year-old yeah. Vicky off. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, if you are going to continue that sentiment, I would say it's worth a rewatch just to <laughs> just uh, just to confirm <laughs> that. If only Vicky had a podcast where she could pitch it. <laughs> <laughs> But I don't, so there. <laughs> right. It uh, turns out, uh, thank you for your guesses on Twitter. Turns out there are a lot of movies uh, with fathers and daughters and guns. Um, Camillo says, Taken versus Face Off. Uh, I do want to do Face Off at some point in the future. Greg Eidman and This Is The Sea say, Leon versus Hannah. Good suggestion. That goes in the little black books for future episodes. But loads of people got it right this week. Congratulations to Peter Robson, Tom Mimnar, Steve B, Liam Johnson. But the big prize goes to the person who guessed it right first, and that was Luca Zanella. Congrats, Luca. You have a particular set of skills. Let's do the connections. What have you got for me? Um, I've got, where do girls always hide? Under the bed. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I've got as well. (laughs) (laughs) I've got another one. Um, Finding daughters on the clock. So Arnie gets a random 11 hours and Liam Neeson gets 96 hours. It's It's not just enough to save your daughter because you're a dad. It has to be within a certain time. Hmm. uh, I've got a similar one to you, Victoria. It's not my real one, not the one I've decided on, but it is anything Arnie can do in 11 hours takes Liam Neeson (laughs) 96. (laughs) I've got one that I'll be using on the Twitter because I'm very happy with it. Uh, Alex, is it films that have a very specific set of thrills? (laughs) Oh, Oh. Oh, Chris. (laughs) I needed a rest after that. Oh, oh. Take the rest of the show off. Oh. <laughs> um, the connection I've decided on this week is kidnapped daughter, time for a slaughter. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> That's that not too shabby either, is it? Yeah, very good. Very yeah. good. Thank you very much. Very much. Um, so, obviously, uh, being my choices, but on any episode, I'm very excited, but particularly excited about these. Victoria, I gave you Taken from 2008. Chris, I gave you Commando from 1985. We do it chronologically, which means the bridge is yours, Chris. Take us on a journey. Distraught that his muscular mate, John Matrix, rejected him many years previous, mustachioed bad boy Bennett wants revenge. So he kidnaps the big man's daughter under the guise of assisting with a military coup. But that's a big mistake, as John really loves his daughter. So the big fella stocks up on guns and ammunition, and once Matrix has reloaded, he kills all the bad guys (laughs) and carries out his own kind of coup, the film ending with a violent and bloody Matrix revolution. Leave anything for us? Just bodies. No! Oh, oh, that's special. That's special. Last and wing, fellas. You're a funny guy, Sally. That's why I'm going to kill you last. Are you going to tell me what's going on or what? No. Don't disturb my friend. He's dead tired. What are you doing? Helping you get her back. Remember, Sally, when I promised to kill you last? That's what made you think you did. I lied. If it's a mission no man can survive, he's the man for the job. 
So, so uh, Alex, Vicky, Alex, I'll start with you. What is your history with this film? Uh, no idea when I first watched it, but I was a child for sure, uh, very young. Uh, watched it once more as an adult, uh, probably about 10 years ago. This is the third watch. And I think on every occasion... Actually, no. Do you know what? I was going to say something there, and I think it would have annoyed you, Chris, because I, I, I've remembered that at this point in the show, we just deal in cold, hard facts. We don't offer any form of opinion because we've got to save that. We've got to save that. So what you'll notice there is I have watched it three times. Once was as a child. Once was mm. 10 years ago. I will not tell you what I thought of this film. Yeah. No, I am going to say the floor. this. Yeah, you see the floor. It's quite boring. Quite boring. Anecdotes. It's it's a perfect opportunity for anecdotes. Um, as oh, I will show how you many anecdotes are there where it's like, I watched it on the telly. I watched it at the cinema. That's it. That's it. Is that is that your answer then, Vicky? No, I've never, <laughs> I've never seen it. It's one of those films with uh, a, a form of like hunk uh, fighter person in that I always think I've seen because they are quite similar and I haven't seen them. I just, I thought I'd seen it and it was Bennett that made me realise I had not seen this film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you go, you're going to remember Bennett. I will say this, this is the first time I've watched the version I watched though because there are moments in this that I had never seen before. That I've watched the, the final uncut director's I don't think it was a director's cut but whatever the full version without the cuts that were made on the UK version like decades ago so I saw bits that I'd never seen before like for example the bit in the shed where he uses the garden tools to mm. get rid of some henchmen not seen that before not seen the full death of Henrique on the plane that was cut from the version I saw as a kid where he elbows him and that was where it ended for me. He elbows him and that breaks his neck and he puts the blanket on him. I'd never seen him elbow him before and then break his neck by putting him in a headlock. So that was all new to me. And I kind of like the previous version where Arnie could just elbow someone and break their neck. So, <laughs> Well, that, yeah. tool, that, that tool shed scene is actually the first, how I heard about it was my best friend when I was a kid, Matthew Kitteridge, a.k.a. Kit Kat. Um, he had an <laughs> older brother who watched all these uh, action movies and he told us there was this film where a bloke throws some circular saws and it cuts off people's heads. <laughs> and I just thought that sounded like the sickest, most terrifying thing I'd ever heard. And I was super excited about it. Um, and so for years, I had a huge commando poster above my bed, which was um, fully cammed up and um, sort of, glistening with sweat Arnie with all his muscles um just standing there so when my mates had sort of posters of Madonna and Kylie Minogue I just had this very sweaty muscly man mm. over my bed <laughs> um which was there for years and then eventually I can I talked to my cousin into renting it one time when he was babysitting for me and my brother when I was probably about 11 10 or 11 and he I remember he said we could watch it but whenever he shouted out the words the word eyes me and my brother had to close our eyes and we, <laughs> i remember it so vividly and we properly did it whenever he shouted eyes me and my brother we were so terrified and i'm sure what we were imagining was worse than what we actually saw <laughs> so i saw very little of it that first time and it wasn't until about 10 years later i saw what was actually happening and, it, and it, as i say it wasn't as violent as what was in my head mm -hmm. it's like the vince vaughn bit in old school where he's like earmuffs 
Earmuffs. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Um, Okay, so shall we talk about a bit of background uh, to this movie? Yeah. Let's do it. So it was originally uh, a spec script written by Jeff Loeb and Matthew Wiseman. Um, I only say that because Loeb has gone on to be a really big deal in comics and TV. He, he works for Marvel. He created Heroes. He, and he also oversaw all the Marvel Netflix uh, shows like Daredevil and that kind of thing. And you could say Commando is like a prototype superhero movie in that um, the main character is larger than life and sort of seems to be bulletproof. But um, the, yeah, he, that, he's indestructible indestructible exactly well he's the terminator mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. The, um, yeah, he is but that initial script uh, was very different it was initially about an israeli soldier a, a former mossad agent who has turned his back on violence and at about the page 50 mark his wife and kids get kidnapped um so it's a very different kind of story they apparently wanted either gene simmons or nick nolte to play the lead role <laughs> oh okay <laughs> That's so weird. I saw that fact. I was like, okay, okay, Gene Simmons from 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 Kiss. Fine, <laughs> fine, fine choice. I mean, he's in a lot of uh, films that we could potentially do from the 80s, Gene Simmons. Uh, he had a bit of an acting career, and they're all kind of over-the-top, high-concept B-movies, um, but not the best actor. I mean, Nick Nolte, it would have been, I think, a much more... Well, it sounds like it would have been a more serious film um, in keeping with the script that they wrote if they'd cast him. Uh, Hmm. But I've actually, I've mentioned this before, I spoke to the screenwriter Stephen D'Souza about three years ago about The Running Man and Die Hard. Now, um, can I I quickly ask, because every time I read an interview with Stephen D'Souza, and I haven't had the pleasure of ever meeting him, he genuinely sounds like someone we have to at some point try and get on this podcast because it feels like the man doesn't give a fuck. It feels like he'll just <laughs> yeah. go, let me tell you everything. I've earned my money. That's that's old. That's old Stephen E. D'Souza. I'm now a guy who will just, any dirt you want. Here it comes. Here it is. <laughs> I, uh, I, uh, I had a 20 minute phone call with him. Uh, it's one I just set up through Twitter, actually. He's quite at the time, it was quite easy to get hold of. And an hour and a half later, he was still talking. And I think I only asked three <laughs> questions in that hour and a half. Um, but yeah, he talks and talks and talks. And he's full of anecdotes. Um, he's very fond of this movie. So he, sa- he said that the studio basically told him they want to make a Schwarzenegger film. And they laid out five dead scripts for D'Souza. And he looked at them and he picked the Commando one. Um, but he said he needed to completely rewrite it if it wanted to be a Schwarzenegger movie and the writer's strike was looming. So he only had five days, but he, he did it. He said he tailored it to Arnold's larger than life personality. And then he had to go and pitch it to Schwarzenegger. Um, and this is quite a dark story that D'Souza tells. He went to his house and Arnie took him into his office. And he said that on Schwarzenegger's desk, there was a photograph of Arnie's dad wearing a Weimarked uniform um, with a German shepherd leaping at the lens. To almost, he felt like it was to intimidate him. And so he said to Arnie that he had a similar photograph of his own dad, although his father was wearing a very different uniform, which I think is quite dark. Yeah, it certainly <laughs> is. Um, but he pitched the film. I heard, and- a, I, I heard a lighter story around the same time where he was <laughs> pitching it to Arnie and he was reading through the script and reading through Arnie's lines and he accidentally slipped into Arnie's accent without meaning to in front of Arnie. And he said Arnie gave him a look like, what the hell are you doing? And he got out of it by going, hey, I, I do all the greats. Do you want to hear my Cary Grant? And Arnie <laughs> went, yeah, <laughs> okay. 
That's very clever. <laughs> but Schwarzenegger responded to him by saying, I like the picture. I'm not a caveman running around with no clothes. I'm not a robot running around with no skin. And I'm playing a part John Wayne could play. <laughs> so uh, he got the gig. And then uh, Mark Lester came on board, uh, the director, um, who was coming off the back of Firestarter, which ties in with a previous show we've done because... Um, John Carpenter was supposed to direct Firestarter, but as we said on the Thing episode, because the Thing was such a flop, they actually dropped him from directing mm. uh, that Stephen King adaptation. So uh, Mark Lester got the gig. <clears throat> he calls this the granddaddy of action films. Um, mm. But I would say that would be Rambo rather than this one. Uh, this was really? more like a direct response uh, to First Blood and then came out the same year as Rambo 2, which was the bigger hit. Um, well, apparently, apparently, uh, Mark Lester talks about how he actually managed to get into an earlier screening of Rambo uh, Part Two, First Blood Part Two, while they were still filming Commando, and he saw the body count in that movie, and he realized that they were going to have to up the body count in Commando to compete with it, and so the whole end sequence, the storming of the villa, the reason that it's so ridiculous, how many men are killed, is literally a direct response to how many people are killed in Rambo First Blood Part 2. If you want the direct quote, he said, we've got to have a bigger dick than Rambo. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> yeah. he's, um, he's still working, Mark Lester, though. He makes, um, he writes and produces and occasionally directs those wonderful movies that I spend too much time watching that go straight on the sci-fi channel. Um, I, you know the kind of movies I mean. When I, I'll give you a few titles. Sand sharks, uh, sharks that go in sand. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, it's what, what a terrifying conceit. It's sharks, but they go under the sand. It's, uh, it's the same. just the way you said it. It's like a baby, like sharks that go in sand. <laughs> is that the is that the tagline? Sharks go in sand. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's basically the same plot as a, a a weird movie called Blood Beach that I watched as a child, where there's a monster that lives under a beach and sucks people under the sand. Uh, Mark Lester also did Poseidon Rex, um, which is a uh, <laughs> uh, T Rex go underwater, Amazing. and um, Dragon Wasps, which uh, wow. as you might <laughs> might be able to imagine a fire breathing wasps. So uh, that's where he is right now. I, I love that you explain us the premises of these films when they're literally designed <laughs> to have the premise in the title. <laughs> What's a dragon wasp, Alex? <laughs> uh, uh, well, well, what, wasp, wasps go breathe, go breathe fire? Wasps breathe fire? Oh, I thought it was dragons that buzz. Brilliant, thank you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so tell, uh, Mark, tell me about your movie. So dragon wasps sound incredible. I'm imagining uh, fire-breathing wasps. Uh, actually, no, that's that's good. We had buzzing dragons, uh, so uh, this is a useful meeting. And you've just explained my joke. Um, so. <laughs> but what I did, what I did was I turned it into a little scene there. I, I, I created a picture. You played both parts. It's very impressive. Um, and the only other thing D'Souza told me about uh, this process was that, and he said he did this a couple of times with Schwarzenegger, that Arnie was very aware that his English was not pretty good. And actually, if you watch the behind the scenes videos, it wasn't. His, his English has improved greatly with time. And so he would he went round his house a day before they started shooting and went through all the script and every word that Schwarzenegger couldn't pronounce, they just changed the word. 
So mm. Um, mm. at this time in his career, Schwarzenegger would do this with a lot of his films, which is is the smart way to go, I guess. Um, mm. It's like what I said about Van Damme that time. Uh, I think Jean-Claude Van Damme had exactly the same thing on the Friends episode that he did, the one after the Super Bowl. Uh, the writers used to literally do his accent in the writing room and perform as Jean-Claude Van Damme and oh, see whether the jokes that they'd written for him were, in their words, Van Damme-proof uh, and whether <laughs> he'd be able to pull them off. JC, the, the version Stephen D, uh, D'Souza tells it is nicer because he's doing it with Arnie as opposed yes. to behind his back doing an impression yeah. of him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I th- I, as I say, I think it was Schwarzenegger's idea. So um, a smart man. Right, should we talk about the movie then? Are you ready for this one? Yeah, yeah I, one last thing. I've only yeah. got one thing. I couldn't believe it when I found out that Arnie was 38 when he made this. No. He was like, yes. You're lying. Yeah. Right, exactly. Now, unless I've only, I only found that on one site and I haven't fact-checked, uh, but I think that's true. 38 years old. He can't be. He looks like a, no, he's got a youthful glow about him. No, I won't have it. I'm, all right, I'm checking right now. Carry on. Uh, okay, so uh, let's get into the movie. And I normally pick five key scenes, but I'm going to go with four sections for this one to guide you through the movie, kicking off with what I'm calling the opening sequence, uh, because <laughs> I think it is a masterclass. <laughs> Thank you. You could use that for your one. Um, it's it's a masterclass in economical storytelling. Um because we kick off with um, a series of murders, uh, garbage men gunning down a guy in his drive, um, the same killers running over a bloke in a showroom, and then a bloke be- being blown up on a boat. And that is pretty much the first two minutes of the movie. Um, mm. D- D'Souza, has, uh, when I spoke to him about this, said that villains have to be deadly serious. It doesn't matter how funny or silly the film is you're making. It will not work if your villains aren't serious. I mean, section two of this is called Bennett. <laughs> I don't know how serious <laughs> that villain is, but you see where he's coming from. These guys are, are cold-blooded killers. Um, yeah. I mean, I, w- I will say that the only thing that I noticed is the guy hears the bin men and he's in bed and he's like, oh, shit, and gets out of bed. I just I could never imagine getting out of bed if you hear the bin men. It's one of those things that you just write off. You just go, fuck it. I'll get him next week. Like he gets out of bed and that's his mistake. Laziness. That would have kept him alive. Mm, I'm pretty obsessed with the, with the bin men, I've got to be honest. I think I would do it. It's because we live in a big shared house. The bins get very full and space right. is at a premium. It's very competitive. And yeah, I don't I don't want to miss that slot. I don't. So you'd be the guy in that scenario. And I, I'm imagining Mark would be the woman where he's like, maybe they change the schedule. And you're like, ah, it doesn't matter. I'm getting up. Yeah. And also Mark does wear that much makeup in bed. So... <laughs> Uh, we then are introduced to John Matrix, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, and as Alex said, he is carrying a tree on his shoulder. That's it. That's the <laughs> character. That is John Matrix in a nutshell. So, do you know where Mark Lester apparently got the inspiration for that shot from? I found this out. This is fairly dark, I guess. Pretty Alex, weird. Do you is know? It, is it mm. from the films of Lenny Riefenstahl? It is, Christopher. It is the Nazi propaganda filmmaker, Lenny Riefenstahl. Yeah, he uh, he wanted to give it. And these are Mark Lester's words. Uh, I decided to have him like an Aryan hero come out with this giant log that no human could possibly carry. And so he took inspiration from those Nazi propaganda films. 
Uh, so the second uh, mention of Nazis on this podcast, and we're only 25 minutes in. So good stuff. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I'm playing Nazi mention bingo over here. That's true. Uh, uh, and that's swiftly followed be, by the I Love My Daughter montage, um, <laughs> which features ice cream, martial arts, deer feeding, fishing, swimming, and a lot of laughing. <laughs> that it's it's such an incredible rule of three that they use in that because first of all it's the like playful ice cream in the face um and then it's the teaching her self-defense in gym shorts and then the final third it's the deer and i was absolutely floored me i'd forgotten it i was like this is the most wonderful montage in the history of cinema did you think, the, but the rule of three is that things build. So did you think she was going to punch the deer in the face? And he's like, well done, Jenny. <laughs> no, what would have worked is if she'd initially put the ice cream in the deer's face and she'd, she'd have got a waggy finger from her father like, that's not right. It's yeah, the it other work. thing. <laughs> not the ice cream. What else did I take? Wham! Jenny punched uppercuts a deer. We're into the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I, it's it's a comedy scene when you watch it now and I'm sure it would have been funny at the time but really it was a complete reinvention of Arnold Schwarzenegger no one had seen him play a loving father he he had mm-hmm. just been killers and robots and barbarians um, so I think it was kind of a surprise for audience and then they immediately try and give him a bit of banter uh, His daughter, they're sitting around the kitchen table his daughter's reading Cream a magazine and and uh, uh, of, which was all about the pop stars of the time, and he says, "Why don't they just call him Girl George?" Cut down on all the confusion. Yeah. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's trying out his Type Five for the comedy store that night. He's like, "Jenny, <laughs> Jenny, listen, Jenny, I've got this joke." <laughs> I actually had to put the subtitles on for that joke as well. I couldn't figure out what he'd said, and then when it was, I realised it was Girl George. It was very disappointing. Yeah. But, but I'm pretty sure my dad was making that joke at the time as well. So that was yep. just... I, I'm, I'm pretty sure for the audience that went to see this movie in 1985, they would have fucking loved that joke. They're like, yeah. yes! <laughs> um, throughout this, we've got James Horner's percussive score, uh, which is all steel drums and saxophone, uh, and which, annoyingly, I couldn't get out of my head after listening uh, to it. Um, he's he's a member of the Clash Hall of Fame. He did the the score for Jumanji, Deep Impact, and Aliens. So yeah. uh, we're big James Horner fans, but it is an unusual score for an action movie. Did you find it? It's incredible. It's incredible. It. I it's mad. This, for the, yeah, the steel drums when the they steel came drums. in. It makes no sense. Why is there so much Calypso music in this film? It doesn't <laughs> make a bit of sense. <laughs> but you think it's 1985. Like, it could have been some hideous electro score. I think yeah. the steel drums are kind of... They're timeless. They're a time, they're a timeless instrument. And so it really hasn't aged the score because of the timelessness of the steel drum. Uh, and then uh, Major General Franklin Kirby arrives uh, playing Troutman from the Rambo movies. Um, <laughs> he shows up in a chopper. He's immediately relieved of his gun by um, Matrix, which makes me think he's not a particularly good Major General. Now, now I think at this stage, because we're going to talk about Bennett and how much 
how much he is clearly in love with John Matrix. <laughs> I think I think 90% of the men in this movie are in love with John Matrix. I certainly think the colonel is because when <laughs> when Arnie steals his gun, the colonel turns around and goes Silent and smooth, just like always. <laughs> and you, yeah. you almost think he's going to follow up with, you were the perfect lover. Killer, John. Killer, <laughs> shit. Killer. Uh, but Kirby explains that someone has been killing Matrix's men. They, they worked in some kind of undercover unit uh, back in the day uh, that made enemies all over the world. And his men are being picked off and killed one by one. Mm, and but, at that very moment... But- but he doesn't. He makes such a, a pig's ear of this explanation. And there are moments in this script, and we'll get onto one, where I'm like, ha, ah, they didn't. It's, uh, Stephen E. D'Souza could have maybe given it one more pass because he go, he's talking to John about these guys, and he's like, they'll find you. They will find you. But I'm going into the city to talk to the feds, and I'm going to stop them finding you before they even get close. And it's like, well, which is it? Are, are they going to find me or, or are they not going to find me? And then you're right, Chris, because he basically he goes, well, look, it's, it's not like they're hiding in the bushes. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, the, the, the baddies show up. Um, luckily, Matrix can smell them. Um, I love that bit. Love that <laughs> bit. He literally that is not what coming. I thought he was going to say. <laughs> Says mm. they're, they're downwind. Um, kind of comes back later in the film, but not really. But yeah, Matrix has the power of smell. He always mm. tells him when people are near. He tells Jenny to go to his bed, her bedroom and stay out of sight, as uh, previously mm. mentioned. Uh, that scene was actually supposed to be him running into the bedroom and uh, hiding her in the bedroom. But they filmed that scene. He tripped over and fell on Elisa Milano, uh, cracking one of her ribs. Oh, So they uh, I, I, changed I, that scene. Do you know what? As images go, it, I find that he's just so big in this movie and he she's so small like i just i i I don't know i somehow had a point of view shot from her eyes as this giant (laughs) man is just collapsing (laughs) on top of her i find it really scary (laughs) uh but she survived the fall um and uh yeah arnie shoots uh, the guy in the head who holds the key to where she's being taken to and then gives chase uh in a car without brakes in the first uh, mm. kind of action scene of the film you did miss out the point where he um he does re- fetch his guns uh, from the shed and, um, <laughs> and, and just in case anyone ever wanted to rob john matrix uh, the combination for his gun shed is one two three <laughs> it's literally one, two, three. Uh, he catches up to these guys, and that's when we meet uh, Bennett for the first time proper. And that's when we're taking a break before we talk about Bennett. So back in a sec. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome back, and we are into section two of my uh, my speech. What is no? I'm just going to start this section again. <laughs> oh, that's very no, telling. No. Very telling. Yeah, yeah. You don't get to do that, Chris. We're, we're live now. Carry on with your speech. We'll listen. And we're into section two of <laughs> this. I can't. What was I going to say? We're into I'm the Bennett sure. section of the podcast. But, uh, look inside know, your any, heart. What do you think you any, are? Anything but uh, welcome back to uh, Chris Tilly's lecture on Commando. Uh, thank you for joining me. Oh, maybe we should call the podcast that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're talking about Bennett uh, as played by Vernon Wells. Originally, an actor called Will Wingshauser had the role, but he was fired after a couple of days. Uh, Vernon Wells, best known for playing Wes in Mad Max 2, had auditioned. Um, he was second in line for the role. And so he... He got the part, um, flew in, and I think we could call this a big swing he takes here for his first uh, Hollywood movie. Uh, let, let's start off with the yeah. outfit. He's wearing uh, <laughs> chunky wool chain mail, leather trousers, fingerless gloves. He's got handlebar moustache. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they say on the film's commentary they thought it was metal. I think it's mad. Um it was apparently too small for him, the costume. They didn't get him a new costume. It was the previous actor's costume. Um, he said yeah, he wanted to look, he said he wanted to look punk, uh, but one of the actors said he looked more village people. And Wells denies looking like Freddie Mercury on steroids. Yeah. Uh, I don't see why yeah. why deny it. That is exactly what you look like. And so embrace it. Like it's a very strong, very positive look. I don't see why you would fight against it as much as you're fighting 
fighting against the seams of that fabric. Foolish. The 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 interesting thing is that um, he no, we'll get onto it because we're just in costume right now, aren't we, Chris? Sorry, go on, carry on, carry on with the lecture. <laughs> Uh, D'Souza <laughs> says the wardrobe on Vernon Wells has led to a lot of conjecture that Vernon had a crush on Arnold's character. Um, but a lot of people involved with this film seem to deny, it, including the director. Uh, Lester says, I don't know what people are seeing when they clean that. It seems like he seems like the most macho. The, he seems like the most macho soldier you could think of. Yeah, and you can have a macho soldier that also looks like Freddie Mercury. The two are not mutually exclusive. But like Vernon Wells even says, Vernon Wells even says that uh, he doesn't know where people get this uh, this idea from. He says like you know the whole point of Commando was they played it straight. You know, there's no one's having a laugh here. No one's taking the piss. Like, you know, he really played Bennett as this bad guy. And there was no, he didn't, it didn't even cross his mind that anything he was saying or doing could in any way be misconstrued as an infatuation with John Matrix. He doesn't believe that, does it? Disagree, heavily disagree over here. Um, He absolutely does. And there's one moment in the whole movie where you go, Shut up. You absolutely know what you're doing. And it is later on. It is the knife fight at the end. And there's mm. a close-up of Bennett's face. And I don't even know what he's doing as an actor. But it, it's literally like, mm, oh, 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 John. And you're like, you, you, there's, no, there's no other way of reading that. Either you can't act, which isn't true because he's great in this. Or you are definitely a lip-lickingly interested in what's what's going on in front of you with John Matrix. So case closed. Yeah, he he. There's another scene where he's he's properly fingering his knife when he's talking about Matrix and what he wants to <laughs> do to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a pause. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Ray, um, Dawn Chong, who, uh, Ray Dawn Chong, who we'll get to in a minute, um, her quote is, uh, they're homosexuals. If you can't love it, you want to kill it. Confusing sexuality that manifests itself in violence. Um, mm. So she's given it some she's got, an- she's got another great quote that um, it feels uncannily like Matrix and Bennett are ex-lovers going through a messy breakup. Which is, <laughs> like, I, it's a, it makes them film even more fun watching it like that. So yeah. why do you think Matrix threw Bennett out of his unit? We don't actually get told that in the film. We do. We do. He he alludes to something along the lines of the fact that Bennett liked killing too yeah. much. Yeah. So there's some sort of idea that he took things too far while on a mission. I mean, it's good that Bennett, um, Bennett does like killing uh, because uh, th- there's a moment where he's talking to John about the fact that you know, he's here, he's back, he's after John. And he says, they offered me $100,000, but I found out that I was going to get my hands on you. And I said, I'd do it for nothing. And you're like, not a businessman then, not a businessman. So <laughs> uh, Lester says he thinks that um, that Bennett thinks that Matrix left him for dead during one of their missions. And while it wasn't true, uh, Bennett didn't believe it and never forgave him. So... Um, what we do find Can out... I, yeah, go on. Sorry, Alex. You know the bit on the fishing boat where Bennett is like... He sees um, he sees Bill Duke and um, and one of the other guys, two of his ex-members, and like he gets on the fishing boat and then they blow him up. Um, and 
I'm a bit confused, uh, to be honest, and I, I'm embarrassed to say it, I'm confused by uh, Commando. But why do they blow him up? Um, and if it's if it's to suggest to John that Bennett can't be the villain um, because he's been blown up by them, it's some sort of weird cover. Then why does Bennett immediately show up and go, "Hello, John, I'm here." Why, what was the point? Isn't it, it's, it's to signify to Matrix that he's next. So they're killing the members of his unit off one by one. They've got all of them. So Matrix will, knows that he will now be next to be killed. And so the whole idea of the plot is to lead uh, Bennett to where Matrix is hiding out. Right, right, right. So they had to fake Bennett's death. Okay. okay. I mean, they didn't, they didn't have to, but yeah. No. Um, but no. yeah, so this is when we find out what the actual uh, plot of the film is. As we said, we, they wanted to find Curb, uh, to find Matrix because a military coup is actually being planned. They want him <laughs> to kill President Valesquez of Valverde um, <laughs> because he can get close to this president and then they can enact their military coup. So that's why they kidnap his daughter and they threaten to mail him to Matrix in pieces unless he goes and kills this president. Um, Do you know um, what other movie Valverde features in? Die Hard 2. Yes. And um, although I I don't think he has anything to do with it, Stephen D'Souza said he believes Predators, uh, Predator rather, was uh, was also set in Valverde. Which, no, uh, it, it Predator, wasn't. Is, Predator isn't. Predator's set somewhere real. Uh, that is mm. incorrect. But yeah, it's a, it's a place that, that D'Souza made up and used in a lot of his TV shows and movies of which... This one and Die Hard 2 are the most famous. That's quite smart, really, though. I mean, it sounds believable. It sounds like a real place. Uh, it, mm. I certainly never questioned it when I was younger. And then it gets you out of all kinds of trouble when you're sort of trying to figure out, you know, made up histories and, and presidents and things like that. Guatemala. Predator was set in Guatemala. Yeah. I was going to say, Guatemala's I, real. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so uh, you ready for section three of our go-through? And that is called Cindy and Sully and Cook and the Dead Dude on a Plane. Um, so you've mentioned this, Al. I don't know how much we need to go into it. Uh, Matrix is put on a plane with one of the henchmen and then uh, breaks his neck. Uh, they had an army consultant who... Uh, uh, promised them that that karate move would definitely kill the guy, which is certainly what Kit Kat's older brother told me when I was younger, and I was terrified <laughs> <laughs> that someone could actually uh, do that. And it's the first of many one-liners for Arnie. He says, uh, don't disturb my friend. He is dead tired. <laughs> um, just just about that karate chop. Now, when you there's a lot of there's a lot of PR around this movie, a lot of people talking about this movie. That I think it, things are just said to make Arnie and like John Matrix seem like the same person, and also to kind of create this this mystique, this legendary mystique about Arnie as both an actor and genuinely one of the hardest men alive, because. <laughs> His choreographer, his martial arts choreographer, uh, <laughs> after the movie, uh, he, had, he had a few weeks with Arnie. He said that after he trained Arnie for the movie, he believed Arnold, Arnold held the training equivalent of a second-degree black belt. Um, <laughs> I've watched him throw a kick in this movie. He doesn't. He, he doesn't. He can, <laughs> his legs are so heavy, he can barely get them above his waist. So I don't, I don't, think, I don't think karate is, is Arnold's thing, uh, especially not around this period. Uh, when he uh, he departs the plane by escaping through the cargo hull, grabbing onto the wheel, and we see him jump out over a swamp, although it's clear they just threw a dummy out of the plane. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and apparently, hmm. uh, Lester claims that people at the time in the cinema cheered when they saw that scene because they'd never seen effects that good of, of a man jumping out of a plane. Um, uh, I, I can't speak for that because I didn't see it in a cinema, but I'm not buying it. Um, and yeah, it's 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 weird because there's another quote from uh, uh, like again this whole idea of like Arnie as the ultimate human. Um, like they say that he he insisted that he did all his own stunts in this movie because uh, in his own words, uh, no one could duplicate my body. It's one of a kind. Um, and in truth, they they'd struggle to find a stunt double. But Arnie absolutely didn't do his own stunts in this film because he's right on one thing. They couldn't find anyone to duplicate his body because at several occasions, there are people who look absolutely nothing like Arnie running around <laughs> that set. <laughs> I'm getting to one of them, actually, when we when we enter the shopping mall. Uh, but before then, we meet uh, Sully, another one of the henchmen played by David Patrick Kelly, uh, best known as Luther from The Warriors. Um uh, incorrect. Best known from The Crow, I think you'll find. Oh, is he in The uh, Crow? Incorrect. Incorrect. Best known as Charlie, the guy who cleans up John Wick's house in John Wick. <laughs> uh, best known as reminding me a little bit of uh, friend of the pod, Pete Donaldson. I think he's got a touch of the David Patrick Kelly about him. Yeah. Um, you and- fucking whore. You fucking whore. <laughs> <laughs> he's always saying that to me. He's so um, embarrassing. I love his clothes, I'm though. not. Do you know what I mean? I'm not. <laughs> fucking whore <laughs> remember when he followed you into the car park Vicky and he was like hey hey I got something to show you fucking whore and I was like Pete I'll see you next week can we just not do this now <laughs> fucking hell um, I'm a big fan of Sully's suit and skinny tie uh, combo yes me uh, too it yeah. feels like that would still be fashionable now actually that's kind of a hipster look he's got going on uh, I you know what much- I have written I, I have written Sully is the unsung villain of the film He's up there with Bennett for me. He's so good in this film. So good. And, and at much the same time, we meet Ray Dawn Chong as uh, Cindy, who um, comes along for the ride. Uh, Matrix pulls a seat out of her car when he first meets her. Do, do we know why he did that? <laughs> so he could hide because it's a little... Everyone's got really small cars in this. So he has to hide, doesn't he? And he's too massive to sit on a seat and not be seen. So he that has to hide. Makes sense. Yeah, I did. I thought I thought his character had just never encountered a car before, and thought that's what you did when <laughs> you opened the door. Yeah. <laughs> you, you took out what was in the car and replaced it with your body. And I think this is where you see that you you sort of confirms that that, that it's not accidental. The humor, a lot of the humor in this film, it does have its tongue firmly in cheek because she's kind of along to to sort of point out how preposterous everything is. She gives a bit of a running commentary um, regarding the 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 strange things Matrix is saying and doing. And she said she sees the character as a bit like Laurel and Hardy. Um, She also spoke to Empire about Arnie, who had something of a reputation when it comes to the ladies. And um, this is what she had to say about working with him. He's a little chauvinistic. He's been accused of things, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's guilty of them, but I didn't have that experience. I'm sure whether there were moments where it was like, no, don't, stop. But because I like him, it was okay. I wouldn't think of it as a grab, more an explosion of affection. Okay, so it's very detailed if it didn't happen to her. It's all (laughs) Your (laughs) Honour. And and I would say that an explosion of affection sounds worse than a grab. It sure does. Um, Yuck. uh, And so... uh, 
Cindy, Sully and Matrix end up in a shopping mall in one of the most famous action sequences of the 80s. Um, and I remember seeing this. That shop, It was before I'd ever been in a shopping mall. And they were just these sort of alien places that you got in America that looked like the most awesome thing in the world. But um, here we see... Um, Arnold. Well, we've got uh, Sully running for a phone box um, after he says this used to be a great place for hunting slash. Which is... Oh, God. oh my God. Yeah. Is that really what he said? I oh, misheard yeah. it and I thought he'd said slags. And I was like, he would never have said slags because it's very <laughs> British. And also as if you'd say that. But he says, oh, no, that's worse. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. Hunting. Worse. Hunting slash. Maybe he was I mean, talking I about. Just, maybe he was talking about Guns and Roses. So let's. Just, that's. Yeah. Let's say it's that. I think it's a little bit just to get this hat on for a second. Possibly a bit unnecessary, given that the man has kidnapped a child and orchestrated a coup. I think the audience gets telegraph. He's a bad dude. He doesn't need to say hunting slash. He doesn't need to call Cindy a fucking whore. <laughs> like we get, he's a bad man. So I, why are you doing I, that? I, <laughs> I disagree. I think I think he's he's very likable. He's, okay. uh, he's, right, he's an in, he's an intensely charming character and actor until he says a fucking whore and hunting slash. At which point, I finally realised <laughs> Sully might not be that nice. <laughs> <laughs> so when he spies Matrix, he runs for a phone box, and that's when Matrix famously picks up and throws the phone box, which was very exciting uh, for an eleven-year-old me. To with, see that a man could do that with, with Sully in it as well. That's the, the best thing is like he's he's got a man inside a phone box. <laughs> it's just so absurd. It's wonderful. We've got like a, a more... packet of Pringles. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sully's not that small. That would be... Just jamming Sully into a packet of Pringles. You will fit. I will get you in here. We've now got the mall brawl, uh, inspired by martial arts movies, they say, but either inspired by very bad martial arts movies or just very badly done. Um, We're we're better at the stunts than the fighting in this film because we've then got um, Matrix swinging from a balloon like Tarzan. Um... So Which this is- feels very feels very Jackie Chan though that moment. I feel like I've seen Jackie Chan do that in something like I don't know Wheels on Meals or Project A or something. But you know the shopping mall, the whole the mall. I was watching this and I was like, man, this reminds me of um, the chase in Inner Space when Martin Short gets a syringe in his batok and Dennis Quaid gets injected into him. I was like, this feels like that mall. It is that mall. I looked it up. It's the same mall as the chase at the start of Inner Space. I like that fact. And uh, I don't care what anyone has to say about it. That's a good fact. And also, Vernon Wells was in Inner Space as Mr. Igo. So there's a double connection there. Okay. Thank you. Uh, disclaimer, that was not Tilly trivia, neither of those facts. Um, no. So we've got a guy. Um, we've got Arnie swinging like Tarzan. They actually found a guy in the circus who showed up um, to do that stunt uh, on behalf of Arnie because he could do it without a net underneath. Um, he showed up and he was a foot shorter than Schwarzenegger, um, <laughs> but assured assured the director, he himself assured the director that no one would notice once he was swigging. And you know what? You don't notice that he's shorter because I, I, he said that on the commentary and said, look out for it. Do you think he looks short? And he doesn't. So um, it kind of, I mean, he looks nothing like him, but he doesn't look shorter than him. <laughs> <laughs> but... but, but uh... But by this point, I'd, I'd, I'd stopped. I'd, I'd accepted that none of the stunts were done by Arnie, despite reading that all of the stunts were done by Arnie. <laughs> I'd given up on the idea that this was Arnie doing this. 
Uh, and then we have a, a little car chase and then uh, the famous um, scene where uh, Matrix holds Sully over the side of a cliff. Um, and he previously told him that he would kill him last because he likes him. And he gets to say here, remember... Oh, do you want to do the line, Alex? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> remember, Sully, when I promised to kill you last? I lied. <laughs> Oh, good. Good, good, good. I don't want to step on your toes. Um, uh, Lester says he was shocked. He said, he said to Arnie, we're going to have you hold him up by a foot, um, by his foot in this scene. And Schwarzenegger told him, I can't do that. Nobody can do that. It's not possible. And Lester said he, he, was, he was genuinely disappointed that he wasn't this superhuman specimen. So they had to hire a crane to hold Sonny up while it looks like Arnie's um, holding him over the cliff. Uh, and then we meet Bill Duke as Cook, or get a proper get to properly know him, who also went on to star in Predator with Schwarzenegger. I'm guessing you're a big Bill Cook fan, a Bill Duke fan, Alex. Anytime, anytime. <laughs> uh, not really an answer. Yeah. Um, Bill Duke always played tough guys, uh, but interestingly, he went on to direct Sister Act too. Which I thought was. Oh my god, I love that film. Unexpected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but Cook and Matrix have a huge brawl in a hotel um, where uh, Cook gets to say, I eat green berets for breakfast and right now I'm very hungry. Um, no, no, I uh, only uh, get Matrix to say says that. that. Sorry, Alex, do you want to yeah, say it? Yeah. <laughs> No, yeah. Well, I mean, Cook says, Cook says, this green beret is going to kick your ass. And Arnie says, I eat green berets for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> but what well, everyone, I mean, that's an often quoted line. I'd argue the better because it's possibly one of the most basic one-liners uh, you've ever come across. But it works for me is where Cook goes, fuck you, asshole. And Arnie goes, no. Fuck you, asshole. <laughs> Sometimes the simplest way yeah. is the best way. If it ain't broke. Uh, they burst through some walls in this hotel room and end up in the same room as a couple having sex. How did you feel about this couple uh, who had a camera in their room filming themselves having sex? What? Feel like I feel like the makers of Commando knew their target audience. There will be boobs in this movie. Come and see the boobs. <laughs> uh, because the woman is behind the man having sex with him, isn't she? What? Did you not what? see that? Yeah. The woman's no. behind the man. No! Shut up! She's behind no. him? Yeah. How? What? Hmm. Are you uh, are you suggesting that there was some device involved yes. in the sexual act? Yeah, I mean, you can't oh. see it. No! But, but, but why else is Stop she behind it. him? Stop Hang being coy. We just say what you want to say. There's no other. We're all friends. It's what do you want to say, what? Vicky? I've said all I want to yeah, say. Yeah, I just, I just didn't know what you're you... talking about. I didn't know you were talking about a strap on. Is that what you want me to say? <laughs> Did someone say pegging? Um, anyway, so it's just a weird. It's a weird detail uh, in that sequence. Do you know what? I know pegging should be like the lesser of two evils here. Somehow strap-ons should be the more like, oh, no, you don't say that. No, it's say worse. pegging. Peg it's so much worse, it isn't is. it? It's so yeah. Don't... Don't try and make it seem like a word that could be dropped into conversation. Like, oh, a bit of, bit of pegging. It's like, wait, wait, I know what pegging is. Um, and speaking of speaking of pegging, uh, Cook then becomes impaled on a not very sharp table leg, which I found quite disturbing. <laughs> quite how that got through his body um, with a round with a rounded end. Um, but yeah, so that is Cook is killed. Um, they take Cook's car and they go to Surplus City. 
um, <laughs> where they've got a forklift truck to pick up army surplus and guns and ammunition and knives and flippers and explosives and rocket launchers and grenades. Um, yeah. Surplus, which cities, um, uh, any 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 army surplus store in LA, you'll you'll find all that. That's they they all have that in the back room. They all have a secret code to pick up missile launchers. You know, you get an old camo shirt and a missile launcher. <laughs> and while they were shooting the film, they decided they need needed something uh, another obstacle to put in Matrix's Matrix's way. So uh, D'Souza during the shoot wrote the scene where he gets arrested, and Cindy fires a rocket launcher first in the wrong direction. Um, and then at the van, which that he's been arrested and taken away, which seems like a risky plan. I mean, uh, it does signal that she is, uh, to quote an off-juice phrase, all in, because she's just tried to murder two police officers. <laughs> and that tends not to work out very well in the judicial system, et cetera, et cetera. It's not something you can talk your way out of, like, oh, I was yeah. helping my friend. And like, they might be by- perverts, but... She's had two bites at that cherry as well because she's fired the rocket launcher once in the wrong direction. She could stop at that point, but she's like, she doubles down. No, I'm going to kill these policemen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, She... um there's a bit earlier, we, we forgot to mention, because the whole the police catching him, um, there's a deleted scene around the mall, in the shopping mall, where the colonel meets, it's the aftermath of the shootout, and the the colonel from earlier, like um, his, the guy who's infatuated with John Matrix, who turns up at his um, log cabin, turns up and speaks to the chief of police, who's like, we're going to get this guy, and it is an entire speech that is basically lifted from Rambo, where he says... An entire police force couldn't bring this guy down. And the guy's like, we're going to get him anyway, which is why the police don't back down, even though they've been told that Arnie is unstoppable. So that's uh, a little bit of her info. Yeah, I was saving that for my section called Deleted Seeds, but um, that's fine. Great, great, and, great, great. Um, excellent. Sorry. Yeah, he says he's a hu- he comp- keeps comparing him to a hurricane, um, which I like. Yeah. I mean, I wonder why it was cut out, but part of me thinks they maybe said this is a bit too Troutman. This is too much Troutman. It is. But it, it, it's exact, it's, it, and it's not as good. That's the problem. If you're going to steal from something, steal and be better. But it's it's not as good no. as the line in Rambo First Blood. Uh, and so um, they are on a plane on their way to the island where his daughter is being held captive. Uh, we've got one of our collective favourite actors doing ground control, which I didn't remember he was in this film. Yes! Me neither. <laughs> uh, Bill Paxton is the man. Um, <clears throat> who a couple of years later made the film Pass the Ammo. Have you seen the film Pass the Ammo uh, from 1988, Alex? I have not. Ah, oh, it's very good. Bill Paxton and Tim Curry, and it is an excellent uh, action no! film. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, how does that feel? How do you feel? What? <laughs> Oh, oh my God! That's that's our obligatory Tim Curry reference done. Um, uh, full disclosure: we may be having two this week. But hey, I didn't want to do it. I don't. I don't even like them. I don't. Uh, but I just felt I, I found myself researching it. Um, I'm sorry mm. to the listeners. Uh, and then we're into the finale, the final section well, of this run through. Can we just talk about one thing? Uh, the, the 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 plane um, that they uh, decide to to get on. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> I started laughing at uh, this moment, and and then I thought I better check this, and I, I was right because those planes, uh, famously, that go on water, land on water, take off on water, they are known as 
uh, as what? Would anyone like to hazard a guess at what those planes are, are known as technically? Seaplanes. <laughs> seaplanes is good. Um, Chris, uh, any no. any advance on seaplanes? No. 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 Um, amphibious. Amphibious planes is what they're called. What they are never called, nowhere, ever, <laughs> is what Arnie calls it throughout the sequence. He calls it an amphibian plane. <laughs> <laughs> Once I got it in my head, I was like, like a frog, like an amphibian. That's what you're thinking of, Arnie, but it's it's not that. It's an amphibious. And he goes, get on the amphibian plane. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, so well, that, that that was just that must just have been the best take of that scene, and they didn't want to do it again. So someone's gonna pull him aside and go, it's amphibious, though. Mr. Schwarzenegger, Stephen, <laughs> Stephen E. D'Souza must be on set going, the line's amphibious, aren't it? Just, just let you, amphibian, it's an amphibian plane. <laughs> do, do you think they had the amphibian plane just so they would land in water, enabling Schwarzenegger to, to get out of the plane in his Speedos? No, I can't. I couldn't take those speedos. Um, oh my god, I really didn't like those speedos. Uh, I just—it's it's too much. There's too much Arnie on display. Uh-huh. I was going to say, what do you wear when you go in the sea? But you don't go in the sea, so you don't have. Never that. been in the sea. Never nope. been in the so, sea, so you don't have that conflict. I thought it was a shame that when they go shopping at the army surplus store, they get a scuba suit and flippers and all the rest of it, and he just is like, "Nah, fuck it, I'll go topless and just roll in." <laughs> rather than like, point. I got excited. I thought he was going to go an underwater cave fucking brilliant very good point but we we've got the hero shot of him what do you wear i don't feel like i should be the only person who's uh who's sea wear is discussed chris chris what do you wear in in the sea i mean i wear shorts which i think is pretty standard how short um, really short above, above my knees, <laughs> above my knees. Below, above knees. below my balls no, above, above my, my knees wa- below balls above <laughs> above my waist above my waist uh, and just sort of it's more of a belt it's more of a belt really it just sort of sits on my hips uh, we've then got this iconic scene of him suiting up and painting himself in camo uh the image that i had on my bedroom wall for about five years uh it's the hero There's shot a- it's the uh, the iconic kind of trailer shot as well Sorry, Alex. There's a, no, just that I, I love that. I, I agree with you because, as I was just saying, I'm not a fan of the little speedos that he has to wear, but I do quite like the fact it sets the bar so low in terms of how ridiculous Arnie can look that the minute he puts on the cool gear, it, it's like, oh, okay, good. Now, now, now he's ready. Not then. Uh, now in the in the, in the waistcoat, but he in that scene. He said that he wanted to. It, it's it's considered a stunt when an actor handles like a very sharp um, weapon or on on a film set, and the the knife in that scene um, is is real uh, that he sheathes in that moment as he's getting all suited up, tooled up, and they wanted to use a stuntman because it's just a close-up of the hand. And Arnie said, "No one has my hands; they are one of a kind. I have to do this myself." And like they were like, we we done when you're handling a knife, Arnie. Anything could happen. He's like, I do my own stunts. So he sheaths the knife, cuts his hand open, and has to go to hospital. <laughs> they lost it. They lost a day. That's the only day they lost on the shoot because of injury. So a nice one, Arnold. Mm-hmm. Uh, this will take the outside of this compound was William Randolph Hearst's house. Citizen Kane <coughs> fans will know about that. And the inside was Harold Lloyd's house. Um, and we've got him being a one man army here, taking on an action, an actual army. Um, standing on the lawn, shooting everyone. As Alex said, uh, this became so over the top because of the director catching a screening of Rambo 2. Um, 
he said, we, we've got to slay more people. And suddenly there were 150 extras getting killed. It got out of control. Uh, that's and what... at least seven mannequins. <laughs> and actually, I believe it's the same extras as well. They had about 20 extras that they just kept dressing up in different outfits and, and put, giving moustaches. But did, did you not think that as you were watching it? Because I was watching it going, why on earth has that guy got such fake sideburns on? And it's because he was like, he's been in three scenes earlier. And they're like, we've, all we've got left in the dress up box are these sideburns. Put them on. <laughs> Uh, Alex mentioned earlier we've got the MacGyver slash MacGruber scene of him trapped in the shed and 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 using a fork and a circular saw and an axe to get himself out. Uh, Arnie was going to have cut- you have you <clears throat> go on, yeah Alex. go on Chris. Uh, Arnold was going to cut off a guy's arm, and while the guy was screaming, he was going to slap him with it and say, "Quit whining." Uh, <laughs> but that was the one uh, moment they decided was too much to shoot, even though Schwarzenegger was desperate to include it. Uh, that never got filmed. Um, yeah, there's another story. I don't know. You know, I mean, this was quite a recent interview Arnie did, and I don't know whether he's talking about the same story or whether this is a separate idea. It feels like the same story, but he says now his story is, I wanted to cut a guy's arm off and kill him with it. It wasn't in the script. He would have thrown a knife at me after he missed while his arm was extended. I chop it off at the shoulder with a machete and beat him to death with it. <laughs> and then he said he was asked into the head of the studio, Larry Gordon's office, and Larry said... What the fuck is the matter with you? Do you want to make money with this movie or not? And Arnie was like, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> and then Larry said to him, get the fuck out of my office. <laughs> and then uh, based on what they shot, Stephen D'Souza said he actually had to change the ending. So uh, this is a d- direct quote from Stevie Boy. He says, the movie was supposed to end with Bennett fleeing in a speedboat and Matrix chasing him in another boat. They'd land on the island where the Marines do their training and fight with knives on the beach with barbed wire everywhere, landmines going off and naval gunnery ships firing artillery shells at them. It would have been crazy like saving Private Ryan. Unfortunately, we spent all our money killing 150 people, so we had to shoot the scene in a basement instead. Well, they've missed a trick there because what you could have done is had that filmed, as you've just said, but then they fall into the surf and embrace and finally just kiss it out. (laughs) And that's cheap. That's done. Kiss it out. (laughs) Come on, say what you're thinking, Vicky. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Come on, you, you you were very bold about strap on. Let's hear it. <laughs> I've gone I've gone shy. <laughs> so uh Matrix challenges Bennett to a knife fight in the basement. Um uh, uh, Matrix <laughs> asked him to put the knife in him, which I think he's talking about a penis there. Um, he says, Come on, Bennett, let's party. Bennett becomes hysterical. Uh, he gets electrocuted. <laughs> Bennett, th- Bennett threatens to shoot him between the balls. Um, oh yeah! Oh, it's it, it, so good. He's just so excited in that fight. Benny's like, "I can do it. I can beat you, John. I can beat you." <laughs> uh, Arnie chipped a bone in his shoulder, and Wells dislocated his elbow. But they continued fighting, and it ends quite dramatically you think it's going to end with the electrocution but that just seems to make Bennett stronger he sort of powers up um that isn't that brilliant <laughs> I I couldn't I totally forgotten that bit where he's being electrocuted against a fence and he uses the power of electricity <laughs> to launch himself onto John it's like it's like a whole there was a whole delete and see where Bennett is a villain who uses electricity to power himself <laughs> 
but Matrix, Matrix is victorious by uh, throwing a pipe through Bennett's chest. So this pipe goes through a mm. human body, through a woolen chainmail, mm. and through a boiler. <laughs> that is one, <laughs> that's one hell of a throw. And he famously mm. says, Alex. Um. <laughs> Let off some steam, Bennett. (laughs) Uh, On the Blu-ray, they've actually, you can watch the alternate takes they did uh, for this with different lines. So um, Arnie in one take says, I think it was too much pressure for you, Bennett, which is fine. I think that works. And the other one, he says, I hate small talk, which is not so good. I don't know why they bothered shooting that. I don't know why they bothered shooting it. And I also don't know, I, I don't know why they bothered putting it on the blu-ray it's like what 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 why i like there's another one which is similar to i think it was too much pressure for you bennett where it's uh can't take the pressure bennett which is pretty good mm. um and that's it really uh arnie emer- matrix emerges victorious char- carrying his daughter on one arm um kirby asks him to restart the unit he says that was the last time Kirby says until the next time. He says no chance. And that's it. The three of them, Cindy, Matrix and Jenny, leave as a family on the uh, amphibian plane. (laughs) Amphibian plane. Get on the amphibian plane. Yeah, there's a really weird moment in that finale, you know, where like Jenny, Jenny, Jenny runs like he puts her down while he has the conversation with the colonel because Jenny, the men are talking and she runs up to the plane and Cindy's there and like they just hug. I know. Does does, does Jenny go, so actually, sorry, we haven't met. Hi. Who the fuck are you? Are you my real mom? Where where is my mom in all this, P.S.? Is she not worried about I haven't come home? I don't know. Do you you like punching deer? Because that's what I'm into. I love, a, I love I love punching a deer. Can you get with that, Cindy? Cindy, can you get with that? <laughs> uh, and so there was for a few years there was talk of there being a sequel. Um, I did ask D'Souza about this. He said his idea was that he felt like John Matrix would become a celebrity now, become um, notorious, get a very highly paid job in the private sector at a big conglomerate. Um, where he'd be hired as a security consultant, train the guards up, help build this impenetrable fortress, and then he'd have to break into that fortress. So it's a bit like the plot they used for the Dwayne Johnson film Skyscraper a few years ago. Um, yeah. And Frank Darabont... And Escape Plan. It sounds a lot like Escape Plan as well. You know, the yeah. Stallone Schwarzenegger movie? Yeah, yeah. And Frank Darabont actually did a rewrite on that script in 1989, but Arnie lost interest because at the time... Pretty much every film he made, he was down to make a sequel for. And this, although this was a successful film, he made more successful movies. And so he he moved on to um, the comedies and Terminator 2 and that sort of thing. So we never got a Commando sequel, sadly. Um, right. Uh, any more for any more? Or there, was some, bits? there was also talk of a remake for a while, wasn't there? They were, they were going to remake Commando, which sounds like uh, the worst idea in the world because all the joy of Commando is the fact it's a time capsule to 1985 and why on earth would you remake it? But uh, David Ayer of Suicide Squad and Bright and End of Watch fame was down to do it. But I think the last mention a remake got was 2014 when David Ayer said, I'm not involved with that anymore. (laughs) Sad times. All right, uh, should we do the bits? Yeah. Vicky? Vicky, how are you feeling? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Vicky, favourite scene? Uh, the knife fight at the end with 
Vernon Wells gurning his way through that. I've never seen anything like it. It's so good. But he's like, I don't, I don't need the girl. I don't need the girl. It's, it's really brilliant. Really brilliant. Um, I, I picked the same one, so that's mine done. Uh, two for the knife fight. Alex, favourite scene? Uh, him killing Henrique on the plane. Um, I just, I, I, love, I just, I, I actually, like I said at the start, I like the original version where Arnie just sort of elbows him in the neck and that breaks his neck. Doesn't need to put his arm around it in the headlock, just breaks his neck by elbowing him, which I mean, obviously, you know, you run the risk on a small plane of doing that accidentally. A lot of broken necks when Arnie's around getting on and off economy, but uh, that's my favorite <laughs> bit. Uh, Alex, favorite, favorite MVW, who is your most valuable whatever? Bennett, uh, obviously, he's just fantastic. Um, the, uh, do you know, we didn't mention it as we were going through, but this is how good Vernon Wells is in this role, is that he takes lines that are inconsequential and somehow makes them better than Arnie's like big lines that have been workshopped to make Arnie look great. For example, the bit where he drops Arnie off at the airport. <laughs> <laughs> that, it's sort of true, but, but the way I said it makes it like perpetuates this idea of a romantic <laughs> comedy gone wrong. Um, he, drops, uh, he drops John off at the airport and then John's been led away by uh, Sully and Henrique. And, and then like Matrix comes back and leans into the car and does this big light line. He goes, I'll be back, Bennett. You don't think that there is any way of topping that. And certainly on paper, the line, I'll be ready, John, shouldn't be better than that. But when Arnie goes, I'll be back, Bennett, Bennett somehow goes, John, I'll be ready, John. <laughs> You're like, better, better. <laughs> somehow you've taken that line and made it better. So yeah, Vernon Wells. Uh, Vicky? Or, or, or James Horner's score, because steel drums. <laughs> Um, I was going to say the costume department for the um, for Sully's stripy shirt suit combo thing or for the string vest. String vest on a large dude. Why not? Excellent. Um, I'm going for Vernon Wells as well. Uh, he, I do think he is the most memorable aspect of this film. And finally, if you could change anything, what would you change? Vicky? Um, don't leave Cindy on the amphibian plane. Uh, she's come a long way. She's nearly killed two police officers, which is a big move. She's going to get in a lot of trouble for that back home. So let her get stuck into the action. She can put the scuba suit on. She can look for the underground, underwater cave. Just do something. But you can't just leave her on a seaplane <laughs> just waiting for you to get back to become the stepmom to your child. I think that sells her a bit short. Yeah, and earlier, there's a weird line earlier where, like, you know, she's doing this motor mouth thing and Arnie's like, I need you to help me. And she goes, I, I have an advanced karate class at 7.30. I can't help you. And you're like, oh, she does yeah. karate. That yeah. never manifests ah. in any any way, shape or form. Well, the D'Souza script did have her accompanying him to the island, but they changed it at the last minute. Um, someone decided that Schwarzenegger should be the lone hero at the end, unfortunately. So that's why she didn't get that opportunity. No. Um, Alex, change. It's amphibious plane. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> amphibious. <laughs> Not amphibian. <laughs> amphibian plane. Well, equally, I... I remember uh, 
I remember Bennett wearing actual chainmail in this movie. I don't know what has happened, if it's that Mandela effect again, but I remember it being chainmail, not some weird woolen chainmail vest. So um, give the man <laughs> cha- give the man action chainmail. It'd be so much more badass than that weird cardigan. <laughs> Uh, and that's that commando is wrapped all right good stuff oh love that so uh just before we end today's show it is quiz time whoop whoop how you feeling ready yes yeah i am yes psyched yes Okay, great, great. Calm down. Um, (laughs) The quiz this week is best Arnie one-liners. I'm going to give you the one-liners from Arnie. (laughs) No, I didn't just create a quiz to do Arnie impressions to end the show. That'd be fucking ridiculous. So, yeah, it's Arnie's one-liners. You need to tell me the movie these one-liners are from. Here we go with your first one-liner. You should clone yourself so you can go fuck yourself. <laughs> you should clone yourself so you can go fuck yourself. Uh, I don't gonna know. Go, I'm going to go uh, the sixth day. Yes, of course, oh, uh... the sixth day. The cloning movie. The Arnie cloning movie from 2000. I went with the Arnie cloning movie. <laughs> Good. It was a smart move. The clue was you should clone yourself. All right, here's your second one. Here is Sub Zero. <laughs> oh, I've turned into Werner Herzog. Oh, the ba- Batman. The Batman. The Batman no. film. Here is Sub Zero. Now Plane Zero. Here is Sub Zero. Now Plane Zero. It's the Running Man. It is the oh. Running Man. <laughs> okay, here we go. Vicky, you should get this. I warm. Is it the Batman? Is it the Batman? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Stop saying the Batman. <laughs> 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 this is what happens when you put me under pressure. The Batman! The Batman! <laughs> Here it is. You're a fucking choir boy compared to me. You're a fucking choir boy compared to me. Look, I know it's not Sister Act 2, but I am struggling. <laughs> Think religion. You're uh, a day. Oh, Thingy! Yes. Thingy! That one that we did, we did it. It's not. It's not the Batman. It's not the Batman. The one it's with the devil in like, it. Yeah. Yeah. Chris. Chris just said it. End of days. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here, here. Time for time for one of my favourites. It's three nil so far. But this, you're still in it, Victoria. You think? You think this is the real Quaid? It is. A total recall. <laughs> it's the right answer. <laughs> All right, here we go. Number five. Get to the chopper. A predator. Get oh, to the fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Victoria, you might get this one. <laughs> the uh, the Iceman cometh. Batman forever. The Batman. Allow- <laughs> I'll take Batman forever. The- I'll t- I'll- it's not even Batman ba- forever, Batman Victoria. <laughs> it is Batman oh, and Robin, shit. Chris. Yes. Uh, 
And I, you, I, I could have also had, allow me to break the ice. Ice to see you. Everybody chill. Stay cool, bird boy. You're not sending me to the cooler. I'm afraid that my condition has left me cold to your pleas for mercy. What killed the dinosaurs? The ice age. Who left the fridge open? Uh, finally. And we are on one, two, three, four, five, six, nil. No, I got one. You give me the Batman. You said you'd give me the Batman. I'll give you the Batman. Five, one. It's all to play for in the final one. (laughs) To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation. I'm doing Werner Herzog. To crush your enemies, see them driven before you, and hear the lamentation of their women. Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. (laughs) Vicky can have that. One, two, three. What on, Vicky? Five, five, two to Christopher. And that is the end of the quiz. On a scale of one to ten, how much did you enjoy that quiz? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, Just before we leave you, Chris, any other business? Uh, We've had some nice emails. Uh, So thank you to everyone who wrote in this week. We had a bunch of them, a couple that caught my eye. Tanya wrote in and said she wants us to do more romance movies. Um, Agreed. I'd argue we've done a lot of romance, but it's been... No, we haven't. It's been weird. Um, Hellraiser and the Fly. Hellraiser (laughs) and the Fly was very romantic. I was going to direct Tanya to Hellraiser and the Fly. Um, But I would say (laughs) Roadhouse, Shaun of the Dead, Ravenous, Interview with the Vampire and Commando... Are all romance, well, not, but it's, so... it's boy boy, no. not boy. <laughs> Just because it's boy boy romance, Vicky, doesn't mean it isn't romance. That's oh true. come on, it's the it's the end of the show. Really, are we doing this? Let's just crack on. What's the next email? Uh, and we had a really nice uh, email from Sam, who is says he's 16 does that make him our youngest listener let us know if you are younger than sam he says i'm 16 years of age (laughs) (laughs) edit that out yeah that's weird weird. let's start that again what's wrong with you Uh, no just just please please don't email us with your age to see if you're younger than 16 i'll start that again again. um i'll start again ready So I got an email from Sam um, who says, uh, throughout my life, I've always loved films and this podcast is perfect. However, I've never watched any of the classics. Uh, Week by week throughout lockdown, I've been going through every single film and watching, seeing if I agree with you and putting my opinions down on paper. It has given me a newfound love for the industry. And as a media student, I would love to one day be the next Vicky, Chris or Alex. Um, I think Sam, I think you should set your sights a bit higher. Um, aim, <laughs> aim to be the next Pauline Kale or the next Roger Eber, or as you say, the next Chris Tilly, yeah. but do aim your sights higher. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but thanks for the emails, everyone, uh, and keep them coming. Lovely stuff. It's show at clashpod.com if you have an email that you'd like to send us. Uh, Right, just before we leave you, let's look ahead to next week's two shows. Obviously, we're back on Thursday to cover Taken, but it's Chris Tilly's choices for next week. Have you got a clue for us, Chris? The clue is Swinging in the Rain. 
That is swinging in the rain. All right. Okay. Swinging in the rain it is. Uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us. Like I said, we'll be back on Thursday for our challenge to Commando in the form of Taken. Vicky's going to guide us through that Liam Neeson masterpiece. Until then, do rate and review us if you have the time. Uh, leave us a little review if it doesn't take too long because it really does help. Uh, that's on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back on Thursday. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.